Hey, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Conversation Podcast here at McCurdy's Comedy Theater. Please go to our website, mccurdyscomedy.com. Keep up to date with us. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to get in contact with me or some of the guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at mccurdyscomedy.com. And I will get back to you guys as soon as possible. And our guests today are the very funny national touring headliner, Mike Rivera. He's hilarious. He's one of our favorites here at the club, and we finally got to get him to come in for a podcast. We love talking to him. We also had a fellow feature-level comic. His name is Luke Trotta, and he is from the Port Charlotte area. He's one of my good friends in comedy, and I was very excited to get him up here for his first time on the podcast. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy this one. We talked about a lot of different things, and we uh, we stopped. We didn't really talk about Corona. So if you, if you don't want to talk about Corona and you want to listen to something that's going to get your mind off that, I think this is a pretty good one. And uh, please give it up for Mike Rivera and Luke Trotta. To the conversation. <laughs> hey, it's Les McCurdy at McCurdy's Comedy Theater and Humor Institute in Sarasota, Bradenton, Venice, Florida, and uh, in the greater Tampa Bay area. And uh, here we are at doing our podcast, The Conversation, which is just a conversation with comics. And of course, originally, when we set this up and how we would normally be doing it is that right now, we would be in the green room, which is right behind our stage. We are sitting in the showroom right now. We are properly social distanced uh, with our mics, and there are four of us here. And, uh, but we would normally be sitting in the green room, and there would be a show, either getting ready to happen or going on. And we'd, you would just be a part of us bullshitting around in the green room, whatever we talk about. But, of course, we can't do shows now. So we are in our showroom right now, and I am happy to say we are with two comedians. And uh, I'm going to throw it to Mike first, and he can tell you a little bit about himself so you get his voice. A very distinctive voice. Absolutely distinctive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely distinctive. Uh, it is me, Mike Rivera, and I've uh, been friends with Les for over 30 years now. I Wow, what was that? Oh, we need uh, to put that on fan. I was uh, been doing comedy, started out in San Francisco, uh, then became a teacher, and but still did comedy. Then I won America's Funniest Teacher, and I'm uh, pleasantly now working more than ever. So I'm re- very happy, <laughs> but not working right now. Yeah, exactly. So there we go. Yeah. But uh, okay, let's bring it on to our next friend, <laughs> Luke. I don't get any of the distinct voice or. No. Com- he has a very. You have a distinct look. I have a distinct look, which I, you all can tell. Um, <laughs> on spot. Uh, my name is Luke Trotta. I live in Port Charlotte, Florida. Uh, Stand up comic uh, for I'm six years now. Yeah. Uh, six years in July will be my anniversary. Uh, currently, like the rest of the world or the rest of the comedians, I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah. uh, just kind People's of sexiest man alive <laughs> after the apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> I was just waiting for the world to end to just clean up on gigs. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the thing. Now you can be proud of the fact that you're unemployed because you're a professional comedian. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm a pro. Yes. I, as a matter of fact, that is professional 
performer, any professional performer, <laughs> pretty much. Right. Uh, a couple of them. And, and you said you have an uh, interesting look, but you really didn't explain your look. And the look that is is, is that Luke has a very long – and, of course, beards are in, uh, in vogue anyway now, and you've got a long beard. Uh, I had that same beard when I was in my 20s. And, uh, and now Mike has a beard, but, but you have the long beard. You have dark hair. Uh, you have a prominent nose, so of course you're a terrorist. Exactly. And uh, and and, 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 and no every comic has something that gives them at least ten minutes yeah. of material. <laughs> Bingo, yeah. you're a terrorist. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you look like modest Yahoo's taxi driver. I guess exactly. <laughs> uh, flying's difficult. The flying's tough. <laughs> but you always, know, I was, I was uh, doing a thing. TCA uh, earns their money. I, you know, I've tuned in a uh, uh, caught up with a couple of comics. You know, just on uh, you know s uh, something video thing and everybody's got a big gray beard or uh, and you've got you've got but I was like what the fuck I go why the hell just cause we're quarantined now can we all of a sudden not shave I was like I was like Jesus we you got more time to shave you should be as well quaffed as you've ever been right <laughs> because because a lot of us have never I've never gone on stage with facial hair so that's, I've never had facial hair. So now we can finally have it. It's like, nice. it's nude in reverse, okay? Nice. We can do it now. And, and as soon as I get a gig, I will shave it off. Shave it right off? Yeah, I might try it once. And if it doesn't go well, it's going off. <laughs> but if it goes good. Well, you're keeping I got yours. good beard jokes for you. Like, yeah. Well, you're keeping yours very tightly trimmed. Are you? Yes? yes? Is that it? Yeah. So you don't, you're not going for, you haven't gone. No. You haven't let it just go. I, uh, no, I'm not the, the <laughs> no. full Monty Luca over here. So. I've <laughs> just given up on everything. You, by my beard, you can tell. I've just quit. Yeah. You know, I'd, and like I had, like I said, in my 20s, I had a full beard. It was about the same length as yours. So it comes, it comes down about, you know. Four or five inches below your chin. I think everybody wants pictures of that too. By the way, oh, I've got. I think there's one in there. I think oh. there's one in the in the green room, and uh, and and I, and my beard was uh, my my beard was brown. It was light brown, and I had that mustache that was blonde. Yeah, cool as shit. Just a cool damn beard, and so shaved it off at some point in time, and then I just had the mustache for a long time, and then at some point. I, oh, I was on doing a radio show. I was, I was on the radio here on the David Jones, uh, Jones and Company show, and I had my ponytail, and somebody said, would you cut off the ponytail for charity? And I said, well, you know, yeah, if enough money went somewhere. And so somebody called in and said, I will donate $1,000 to cut off a ponytail. I said, you're missing a fucking zero, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. It ain't going for a thousand bucks. That, that ain't happening. I, mean, I can give them a fucking thousand dollars. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know. So, uh, so that no. And then so the guy goes, "What about your mustache for a thousand dollars?" To you know, I don't know what it was, child protection center yeah. or something like that. I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." And so I hadn't planned on shaving my mustache off. It wasn't like anybody that knew me knew I was gonna shave my mustache off and I had it for a while, you know, kind of a deal. And of course I didn't get the, the real thrill of shaving off your mustache on the radio, you know, this was before Facebook or any of that shit, but I shaved it off and that in 48 hours, every human being that saw me, first thing they said, damn, you look 10 years younger, every time. And I go, 
why the fuck? <laughs> well, that's that. Yeah. You know? And, and so somewhere down the line, I didn't want to grow the beard back, but I was like, you know what I'd like to have? Sideburns again. I decided them big old fucking Elvis. <laughs> I was going to go to <laughs> big Elvis mutton chop sideburns. And I thought that they were going to be brown because my hair was still brown then. White as fucking snow. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus Christ, I look like Lee Marvin in Paint Your Wagon. And, and uh, there's a reference for <laughs> There's a, I was looking back. at Mike. I was like, did you get that? 50-year-old <laughs> reference for less. Do you, know, do you know the Paint Your Wagon That's reference? With, uh, isn't that Clint Eastwood? Clint Eastwood. And, Clint, and it's a musical. And they sang it. It's a musical wait, wait. about go, uh, Gold Rush. There's a, there's a musical with Clint Eastwood. In yes, Clint, Clint sings and Lee Marvin. Aren't they married sings. to the same woman or something? That's, yes, they're both in, they're both sleeping with the same. Woman. That's worth a watch itself. Yeah. Clint to see, Eastwood's just talented. To now, see now. dirty hair. Well, no, neither one of them sing worth a fuck. Yeah. Oh, okay. But okay. they but they decided <laughs> they were gonna fucking do it. That makes me feel better. At least he was awful at. Singing. I know. What that was probably seventies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I would say seventies. Yeah, right in there. That's yeah, that, there's a there's an old movie to pull up that you won't get all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure the average person you'll get about a third of the but way in and go, how have, the fuck did this make it to the? But big some screen? movies have held up and some haven't, and I, I'll be the first to agree with you. Uh, I was always, you know, Daddy always loved watching the war movies, the World War Two. Some I liked that I saw again, and then the other night I saw The Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes. Man, was that good. That holds up. Absolutely. It holds freaking up. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Hold it. Just the whole cast. We were just talking about Bridge Over the River Kwai. I brought it up as a reference during this quarantine because of the fact the whole point was the commander of the British Army was like, we are going to still get up every day and we're going to bathe and we're going to shave and we're going to be military sharp just because we're in a prisoner war camp doesn't mean they can't take that away from us and then he built the bridge fantastic and what i love though yeah. the subtlety because watching again is great. the colonel saito he's like going i hate he was going to kill himself yeah I mean, the whole point he's like going this guy's he's building my bridge he's getting and he's he's ready to commit harry carry when that 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 train comes by and he, the whole movie he's just wants you know he's depressed right and uh uh just a great cast oh that is holden that, is great and jack hawkins Unbelievable. Now, you know one that I would... And then you watch those movies like... Uh, and like, how old are you, Luke? Um, 35. 35. And you're about the same? 28. 28. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, it's like uh, um, Billy Jack. Now, Billy Jack was a movie, a cult movie, right? And Billy Jack was... Uh, this was... T- he's, he's the guy that's come home from Vietnam. He's disenchanted with everything because of the Vietnam experience. He's a, he's a Green Beret, Special Forces, total badass, right? And, he be, and he's living out in the wilderness, and he becomes a vigilante, you know, vigilante kind of guy, right? You know, he just, you know, he's not looking for a fight, but next thing you know, there's people fucking with the Indians, and then, you know, he has to step in. And he just kicks everybody's ass, right? You know, it's that kind of, you know, uh, later I'm gonna put, on. I'm going to put this toe. Yeah, you know, right there. Not yeah. a damn thing you can do it. And I can remember Howard that Hesman movie in, that. in the 70s at, at, at our age. 
He was the coolest mother. You were like, man, if I could just be like motherfucking Billy Jack, right? Kind of like, <laughs> I watched that movie a few years ago. It is the stupidest piece of <laughs> shit. I mean, you, you, it's, it's, it's incredible how bad it is, you know? And I wonder, you know, what I was just thinking of when you mentioned war movies was The Dirty Dozen. I saw that, too. Did it hold up? Oh, man. Yeah, yes. it did. Um, at Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. Uh, the Cassavetes. John Cassavetes, uh, uh, Telly Savalas. Oh, incredible. Jim Brown, the football player. Okay. Uh, um, Death Wish, Charles see, Bronson. That's interesting. Charles Bronson, yes. Hearing you guys talk about that, because being 35, I know there's some movies from like the early 90s, um, Terminator 2, that mm -hmm. when I first saw it, great. If I were to watch it now, it's like, I yeah. watched Terminator 2. It still Not stands up. A, a I, few weeks ago, I, I was like, saying it came out. I watched CGI it for the first time. It's, it's James Cameron's a yes, master. James Cameron is. But. So Aliens two or Aliens, not Alien. Aliens also stands up pretty well. Yeah. Like the, I think so. Anyway. Is there an yeah. action movie that we think doesn't hold up nowadays now? when you watch it? Uh, that's, that's, a good, that's your generation. Like maybe action? Die Hard? Die Hard the original? Die Hard oh, still stands oh, up. I, know, I, know, I, think, I, just, I think that's the best Die yeah, Hard. That's, that's, and, and they didn't yeah. use a lot of special effects in that. They used a lot of real explosions and stuff like that. Um, probably like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like, that wasn't even good when it came out. That was already really bad. I don't know. It's really because to listen to you guys, even the stuff that you're bringing up that was what, maybe 95, yeah. something yeah. like that. I mean, I watched Pam and I the other night. We were. We, flipping through you're just doing nothing and the uh oh it was actually cb cbs or nbc is now doing and they used to do this before cable it's like the cbs saturday night movie you know what i mean yeah. and they're doing that again That's right cool. and it's because of the quarantine everybody's home so it was mission impossible and oh, it was yeah. the first one and right. me and her were very we were taken aback I would have never guessed that it was 1996 when it was produced. I mean, my daughter Earlier? was two years old, who's 26 years old now. Right, right. 1996, and I looked them up, and it was 96, and then the next one was 2000, so they waited four years. Yeah. And then I think it was about every two years yeah, or something which, like that. Because there's, wow, I think there's yeah. five of them They or used something. to wait between an original and a sequel, now it's like... No, bang yeah, them out. Yeah, get yeah. them all out. Yeah. Yeah, the but, last one. But was, it was it was great. Yeah. You know, but you, when you go when, when you talk about, you know, really from mid I would say even mid early 90s, but mid 90s forward, the technology was pretty fucking good even yeah. then. Yeah. But you go you go 80s, 70s, 80s. No. I yeah. mean, they, they just they, yeah, I remember like, watching a movie and I can't remember what it was. I watched it. Jason and the Argonauts. What? Fucking, I can still watch when Jason the, and the Argonauts, and that was '60s and won an Academy Award. Yes, for uh, special effects. Y'all, y'all never seen that. I have never That's even one heard to of look that. up. Jason and the Isn't Argonauts. Isn't that a Greek tale? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Greek mythology. Greek mythology. Right. So you got the. You got the fucking seven-headed serpent. <laughs> you got the claymation. Yeah. What's that? Claymation. The guy with the phony beard. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's one that that that's one that's so campy that it could still be fun for someone like I you guys to watch. That uh, like a couple of minutes of that to my students, and they're like, because I have to teach you know the Greece, and they're like, 
this really sucks, Mr. Rivera. Yeah. <laughs> like, just watch it. And then they, 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 they like, you know what's weird with, with, with the students? Because I like to always show, you used to show them things. Right. Uh, clips and things like that because you can't show movies anymore. And by the way, your students are about, what, 14 13, 14. 13, 14. Um, the one, here's the one that, that the movie that I, last day of school I, I've been showing for years. Uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, of course. And, and here's the thing. Some kids will go, I don't get it. And some kids are just pounding on their desk going, Mr. Barrett, this guy is a genius. Because yeah. they understand it's in two levels. Right, right. And they, right. And, and, and they go, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was doing his, his uh, 35th anniversary or something like that. Yeah. 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 And I wrote him a letter. I said, Do you know, every year I show that movie, and I was trying to get him to invite me over to talk with my students and stuff, but uh, they love the movie. Well, you know, last they love Pee Wee. Paul, 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 Paul grew up here, and uh, and um, and his mom, uh, who passed away just this past year, I think it's just past year. Um, it's I think it, the last name is Rubenstein. I think it's Rubenstein. Yeah, Paul Ruben. And so anyway, they lived out on Siesta Key, and so. A few years ago, uh, Paul Paul's dropped in to the club three or four times over the years. Uh, Caroline, when Caroline, twice with Caroline Ray because they're friends, and then the last time with Louis Anderson because they're friends, and he happened to be in town. And when he came in with Caroline, he was nice and everything, but he was very quiet, aloof. You know, I mean, not you know, I mean, it's like hi, how you doing, but not real engaging. Yeah, and and. You know, I just felt like, well, that's that's kind of him. That's his personality, whatever. And uh, so we never really, I never really got to really talk to him much. You know, he never really gave you that opportunity. But when he came in with Louie, and he was here to see, by that time his mother was in a bad health, and he was coming in town on a regular basis to take care of her, you know, and to, and to do things. And he came, he was here every night with Louie, and he hung out all night in the green room and so we really you, you got to know him he's just awesome he's just a great guy and he's sat in the back of the room and just yeah and uh, uh just a sweetheart and i told him i said your mother has been coming in here for you know 20 years i'm telling you and i said he goes i know and i said she sits in the front row every time she comes front center is where she wants right there and i i, I got a place i'd say i go you know, I'd speak to her from stage, you know, but I wouldn't acknowledge who she was. You know, every show, after the show, she would come up to me and she would go, Les, you are so talented. You have got to do something with my son. I said, well, you call Paul. <laughs> yeah. And you tell Paul yeah. that whenever he wants to do something with me, I am <laughs> totally ready. <laughs> I am ready to go. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. But that movie stands up. Uh, All of his movies stand There are up. like 20, 20 things in that movie just go, oh, my God, that was funny. Oh, my God, that was funny. Oh, my yeah. God, that was funny. Oh, and he's here, a genius. Here's another one. So another movie I was watching, and I actually, if you got Twitter, follow me on Stand Up Teacher at Comic Mike Rivera. Sorry for the plug. We're watching uh, 1971 horror movies, Twins of Evil, and then it's just one of these campy Hammer films. You know, with Peter Cushing and stuff. Uh-huh. And then they have the vampire comes out. And it's not Dracula. It's this other Count. Uh, I wrote down his name. Count Carnestine. Okay. And I'm like going, I don't know if you can see it. And who does it look like to you? 
Oh, wow. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And look at like, this. Like, it's twin. This, that is 1971. Oh, man. He looks exactly, exactly like, like Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. We've got to get this to Fallon. Well, I was going to say, he's got to see that. Yeah. He would go nuts because this, this vampire is so... Jimmy Fallon. Oh, man, he's got to see that. Who do we know that knows? We know somebody knows Fallon. When you find out, but again, 1971. I know somebody knows Jimmy for sure. When he sees this, he's going to freak out. Yes. Because, and this oh, is. Oh, I can't wait to get that to him. And I'll send you the. Okay, send that over. And just. And I'll <laughs> just put, I'll just put out feelers up in New York. I, some, one of, one of our New York comics is friends and with just, him. He will, he will have to show this. 19, that's 50 You years know who ago. probably can get, who probably get the Fallon that, that is close to us is Brewer. Oh, yeah. Jim. I mean, even oh. though they weren't on the show at the same time, I would feel pretty certain. That's like that the, Jim, the Jim alumni could, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all Saturday Night yeah. Live. Yeah, but, I mean, you know. When, but this oh, vampire and by the way, a, you know what? talking about that, have you guys seen the Daryl Hammond I was just uh, documentary? Fan-fucking-tastic. I mean, didn't you think so? Yeah, but here, here's the question, because we've known each other so long. Were you surprised? Well, I, I knew the backstory, yeah. but but I learned... Not a, as much, though. Not as much. Whoa. I learned a lot more. And what was interesting was there were, there were holes in the documentary in the story that I had been told that weren't in the documentary. Uh, you know, and tell you guys about Daryl, if you don't know. Uh, Daryl's mother was mentally ill, severely, and she abused him horribly uh, as a child, horribly. Just to give an example, it's in the documentary of one of the things he would do, she would do, she would, she would uh, in a very sweet way, when he was like five years old, she would bring him into the kitchen and she would take a steak knife and slit his tongue. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what he dealt with, you know? And so... That's like... And, of course, he had the father that I don't think was abusive that way, but he never... Detached. Yeah, he's detached. He didn't stop anything. And I'll... I'll, But let me tell you, here's the weird thing, is that... So we've all known Daryl since he was a middle act. I mean, Daryl used to middle for us when he was up in Orlando, or that's where he grew up up there. And so he used to come down here and he, I remember him middling one New Year's Eve. And he was an impressionist and wasn't many people doing impressions, you know. And just a nice, just a nice young guy. I mean, you know, just like kind of a little to himself, but always just a sweetheart of a guy totally professional, very easy to deal with. And so he never headlined for us until he became a star star. You know, by him and Jim Brewer and a few of them went to New York. Now see, the way Lauren Michael talked, this was a little hole. The way Lauren Michael talked, they discovered him in New York at the cellar or somewhere like that. Brewer, the story I had gotten from Jim was that he and Daryl were in Chicago. They had gone to Chicago, not to New York, because they were kind of sec. They were wanting to be part of the second city. Okay. They were wanting to as much do stand up. They wanted to expand themselves into improvisation and acting and that sort of thing. So they had gone there, and that someone came to Chicago. There was an audition in Chicago for Saturday Night Live. They went, the story that Jim told me was they went just for the fart of it. Like, 
they weren't headliners yet. You know, they weren't headlining in Chicago. They went just to audition just for the experience, never thinking in a million years that they would even get called back. And they both did wow. get called back. And eventually both got cast, Daryl first and then later Jim. So I wonder if that was an initial thing that happened and then he went to New York after that. I mean, I don't know, but that was always the story yeah. Jim told me, you know. Uh, but what I liked about the documentary was, remember, the only thing that made his mom happy and stopped the abuse was his voices, voices. cartoon voices, which he, he had told me that. I knew that. Yeah. He had told me that later. That was after the book came out, and we talked about it. Let me tell you, the, let me tell you here's, the, here's the kicker. So in... It's the, it was right after the millennial. It was right after, it was 2000, uh, it, was, it was the year 2000, okay? And we, we were in between rooms. We were, we were originally at this Holiday Inn Airport Marina out of their banquet room for 10 years, which we had a 180 seat room to use and we had a 200 and like, almost a 300 seat room to use. And we were there, and then we got bumped out of there because it got sold. So for almost three years, we were in a little 100-seat room uh, here in town looking for a space. So during that time, since we had already started bringing in celebrities up there, I produced uh, Jeff Dunham and Tommy Chong uh, at the Opera House. You know, it was at 1,000 seats, you know. I think we did Jeff and Tommy. And then the Opera House had a smaller venue that we could put about 300 in. And I did Diane Ford there, and I did Daryl Hammond there. And Daryl, I, I had not, Daryl just popped up through one of the agents, said, hey, you know, what would you think about booking Daryl Hammond? And he was already, I mean, he was a star star off of Saturday Night Live at that point. And I was like, hey, man, we've known Daryl forever. I didn't even know he was playing clubs. He goes, you know, he's not really a lot. He said, but he particularly wants to come down and do a show in Florida. And he's, you know, and he wants to go to a club that he's comfortable in. And he's comfortable with you guys. I think he had a couple places down here because he wants his mom and dad there. And we were thought, and we just thought this was before the book. Like we didn't, nobody knew this shit. And, you know, he came in, he did a Friday, Saturday night, four shows. You know, here come his mom and dad. They look like Ma and Pa fucking Kettle, literally. Just down home, country ass, you know, <laughs> Central Florida, yeah. you know, kind of folk, right. you know. Just, I mean, his mother looked like Aunt fucking B. And, you know, and they were there for all four shows. And it was like, it was like, he wanted to perform you know, down here and wanted them to be there. And then, you know, and then, you know, fast forward not long after that, the book comes out and we were like, holy shit, you know? And we were like, what was that all about? You know, why was yeah, that? It, you know, what was the, in his head that he wanted? Maybe to prove a point maybe? Or I don't know, I don't know because, I mean, I remember, I can distinctly remember 
them all being together. I mean, watching Daryl interact with his parents, and I never, you never, there wasn't anything odd about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to obviously odd. Obviously, there was something yeah, real odd so. about it, but there wasn't anything to your eyesight that was odd about it. Because they were doing it for years, the charade. Yeah. Co- correct. Correct. The charade was going on with, and then when it all came out, you go, that heightened that fact of how many people out there, and that's a part of his whole documentary, are abused like that horribly, and no one knows because it's like Daryl said. He goes, he said something along the, in the documentary, I can't remember, but there was something along the lines of the, the hardest thing was the, the, that you didn't say anything. You know, you, you know something bad's going on, but but it's not you it's like you don't uh what what is it ron shock used to say you don't when he talked about smoking pot and doing drugs and his kids knew it and they didn't really do drugs but you don't you 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 don't turn you don't turn on your parents you know no matter what you don't you don't turn on family you don't turn that's what you don't turn you don't turn on family no matter what don't turn on family that's you know, where, where can we see that documentary? Is it on Netflix? It's Netflix. 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 It's fantastic. Anybody that's listening, man, check it out. It, it's yeah. it's it, it is man, Daryl. You talk about the boy, the courage to do that is incredible. Do you remember when he was telling those people his story, and then then the assistant comes and says, "We have to go." Mm-hmm. No, we have to go. Mm-hmm. And he basically, you saw him try to deescalate himself mm-hmm. because basically, what in his mind when she said, "Let's go," was my story isn't important because he wants that story out. Wow. And if you just say, hey, Daryl, we, you know, we got this to go. And he, you watch this. He, you watch how he is almost, I'm, uh, d- d- let's fuck it. Let's get out of here. Yes, yes. But because he has now the courage, he wants to tell his story. And if you interrupt his story, even though it's a legit interruption, yes. he, watch that scene. Oh, I agree. Oh, I agree. I'm, he's, <laughs> I mean, you know, and God love Daryl. You know, he's a wonderful guy, but he's he's been unfortunately, and you know, no way around it. You know, he's he's been mentally damaged, and anybody who would go through that, I mean, there's no way yeah. you're not going to be mentally damaged. But the incredible thing, he was damaged in such a way that it made him a creative genius. Well, yeah, I was going to say that's. I almost think that's why. He was probably such a good performer or such a like he he had that pain and he drew all that energy from that. Well, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of performers and and I've experienced this early on in my life when I was in a point of a lot of depression, you know, where I wasn't a performer. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was offered the opportunity to be a performer in a in a very. you know, it was like being a DJ kind of thing. There was, there was, it was in Memphis. It was a bar I was working. It was a very popular place to go, and they had two nights. They had Thursday night or Monday night was fifties um, uh, rock and roll. Was like the old uh, American Graffiti. You know, it was. There's a movie that stands up. I saw. I've seen that too. That's a movie that. Stands I have seen up. that. Yes. Okay. I've seen that. Okay. So. You know, there, that, that became a very popular night to play 50s rock and roll, you know, and you would have performers up on stage that would pantomime everything and da-da-da-da-da. And then on Sunday night, they had a thing called Progressive Country Night. 
Now, what progressive country was, was, was that, and this was 1970, probably five-ish. What progressive country was, before, before uh, country music was Nashville, okay? Right. Nashville, Nashville controlled country music. Country music was, was Roy Acuff. It was Patsy Cline. It was, it was, it, and it had to be a certain way. Hank Williams, it had to be a certain way. Well, up comes Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson, and then later off, people like Emmy Lou Harris and Doug Kershaw and all these people that, and Jimmy Buffett was one of them, that were country, but they didn't want to adhere to the strict guidelines of Nashville country and they didn't want to produce in Nashville. So they went to Texas, okay? And the, the greatest uh, uh, example of that was Jimmy's first hit, Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw? Well, right. that's a country song that became a pop song, but it's not gonna be accepted in Nashville fucking country. Well, they were, you know, when they decided to do that, they knew they were pulling away from a country establishment and creating a progressive country music. And so this guy was playing that on Sunday night, only progressive country. And uh, he quit. He quit doing it. And, um, and so uh, I went and asked, uh, I was a waiter there, and I was probably maybe 20 years old. And I said, what's the deal? What was, what was the deal with Mickey doing that on Sunday nights? And we're not having it anymore. He goes, well, Mickey quit. We don't have anybody else to do it. I said, well, what'd you do? He goes, he goes, we paid him fifty dollars. Now this is nineteen seventy five, right. so it's like paying you, you know, yeah, yeah, two or three hundred dollars yeah. at least. Yeah, right. we're giving. He got fifty dollars, and you got a fifty dollar drink tab personally, personally That's for sweet. you. Then That's you sweet. had control of drink specials. They would give you so many drink specials. So you could say, during this song, Snops is 50 cents. Yeah. Right? So some beautiful girl would come up out of the crowd and go, start talking to you and go, would you play blah, 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 blah. You go, sure, sweetie, I'll play this next one. What do you drink? Uh. And she goes, well, I, I said, she goes, is there a liquor you like? Oh, I love peppermint Snops. During that song, I'm gonna make Snops a quarter. I'm so happy. You Go did for that. the buzz, right? <laughs> so it was like Damn. I was like, "Holy fuck, who wouldn't want this job?" So I immediately volunteered. I'm like, "Well, I had only at that point in my I've only been in love with two women in my life: the one I'm married to, and my and the girl that was your first love, right? Right. And I'd broken up with her, you know, a couple of months earlier. She broke up with me. And I was devastated. And I was devastated for a year. I mean, uh -huh. I, I didn't know heartache. I, di I didn't know lovesick. I didn't know it. I didn't know how devastating it was. And it was devastating for me. I wanted to marry that girl. And the very first night I did that show, I did that show, when it was over with, when it was all over with, what I realized sitting at the bar having drinks afterwards was that's the first time since I broke up with Lisa that I didn't think about Lisa for four hours. 
Your first love's name was Lisa? Yes. That Yours too? Mine too. And that's why I literally, I almost fell back in my chair. Unbelievable. Just so I yeah. Just got chills. Like, There's a lot of Lisa's there. there is, but yeah. yeah. Same lady too. Maybe it's the same, same one. Same, it's the same one. Same, same Lisa. Lisa. She's still hot. Lisa Merle was mine. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I sat up there and I went, oh, performing. When you're performing, you cannot have anything else. You have to be so laser focused when you're performing that everything else has to go away. Yeah. So I think when you are someone who has a mental illness, which 90 times out of 100 means it, you can't control the voice in your head. The voice in your head is controlling you a lot. You know what I mean? Up or down. And it's it, and a lot of mental illness, of handling mental illness, is learning to control the voice in your head. Right? When you're performing, there's the voice has no voice. You got to be laser fucking focused. Yeah. And I think that's the reason a lot of creative people become so creative, because during the creative process, the voice is controlled. Yes. And then as soon as they get out of it, they're back in torture again. Yeah. I I definitely think some of the more creative minds I've met in doing stand-up comedy have been people who have dealt with conflict or dealt yeah. with, had to deal with certain issues. I know uh, me personally, uh, you know, I lost my father at an early age. It really messed me up. Um, and then getting into performing and stand-up, you, you, you know, you find your voice, you find confidence as a person. And I know when I'm on stage, there's, there's no voice of self-doubt. It's more like, hey, make sure you hit that tagline. Hey, go to there. Hey, that lady just said something. Make sure you comment. And there's so many other moving parts that it's like you don't have time right. to be sad or to be worried. So I, I absolutely agree with that a thousand percent. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a, it's a safe place. Yes. And the goof is when people come to us and go, God, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you stand in front of all those people, you know, taking that risk, you know. And for a lot of us, we go. Oh fuck! That's a, that's that's my safe fucking place. <laughs> that's the comfortable place. You know, I once said <laughs> I'm okay up there. I once said it to somebody. I feel insecure all the time. I might as well try to reap the ultimate rewards of it by being yeah. That, yeah, that's my safe haven. Yeah, oh, you, that's an interesting. I feel so insecure all the time. I might as well go up there and get the ultimate benefits from it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have to. I have to ask you, Les. Like, I we we all hear all the time. You know, doing comedy. What made you decide to open a club? Instead of not wanting, not wanting to live in L.A., uh, uh, not wanting to move to L.A., that was Pam and I both. Because the, the thing about it is Pam has a master's degree in theater. Okay. And mo what most people who know Pam, most people who know Pam have never seen her on stage. I have. And she's fucking awesome. You know what I mean? Like, like as an actress, and she's a song and dance girl, too. And I mean, she's incredible. She's, I mean, she was, she got a master's degree in theater from Florida State on a full ride scholarship, you know, all the way through. That's why. You know, I, I mean, know, she, I did not know she that. left high school at the eight, she left high school a year early. She, she was able to leave high school in her junior year because she already had all her credits done and started to a junior arts college. And then from there, got the scholarship to Florida State. So, you know, her and I both, you know, f when once we were getting married, I'd been doing comedy for a while. Obviously, she was very uh, uh, accomplished at her level at theater. We felt very confident going out to L.A. 
as far as being able to compete at that level. Yeah. Right. There, that was not the, the deal. We, we both felt very confident, but we also knew the odds. Yeah. You know what I mean? No yeah. matter how – unless you're just motherfucking Hugh Jackman or Meryl Streep or somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, where you're just like you're a phenom. fucking phenom. Yeah. But, but we felt like we could go out there. We could probably – one of us could probably have made something happen. We didn't want to live in that. We didn't want to live in that congestion and that there, – there was nothing attractive about that. And, and – There still isn't, by the way, about I Los know. Angeles. And we yeah. talked about – did either one of us have the competitive nature that wanted to be at the top of our field at what we do? And we really realized we didn't. You know what I mean? We yeah. loved doing it, but we didn't have that competitive nature that wanted to be the, be the best and at the top of the level. And, boy, if you don't have that, yeah. I mean, good Lord, if you're going to go out there, you better have that. And – the killer, other th killer instinct the yeah. killer instinct well you know it is that yeah you, you're and we talked about as a married couple getting married we go you can't be family first in that situation you have to be career first and you both have to understand that about each other you have to get into a comfort zone with it you know whatever that is and we both realized what that was and we were smart enough to at, at at that point of our life. I mean, I was 32 and she was 26. And we realized that and we go, that's not us. That's not, it's going to, we know that's going to put us in uncomfortable relationship territory, you know. And so we started thinking about what we wanted to do. And that's where I've said it, I've told the story many times, but I don't mind. It, it, it's like I asked Pam at that point, because we were seriously planning on moving to L.A. Uh, I said, if we move to L.A. and it works and one of us pops, I mean, which means we're going to make a lot of money in a short period of time. So let's just say that's happened. Let's fast forward 10 years, 15 years. And that's happened. And now you're sitting in L.A. in our little apartment. One of us got the lead in the sitcom that's going to be on NBC or got the movie. You know, I mean, you, just, you know, there's a, you just threw a million dollars in your bank account and there's more to come. Right. What do you want to do now? And Pam said, buy a house on Siesta Key. That was the first thing out of her mouth, buy a house on Siesta Key. She goes, that's where we want to live. She goes, and we would keep a condo in L.A. for when we're there working, but when we're not, we're going to be there. And that's where we decided, why don't we just go to Sarasota and see if we can make a living? And to make a living, one of the best ways to make a living for us and stay in the arts was to open a little comedy room. And so we came down here and we found a little – banquet room at a holiday inn and opened it up and i, I love how you said little comedy room now could what it's grown into yeah yeah exactly so many years later exactly so i mean that that was the whole thing it was about personal happiness and quality of life you know the, the funny thing is i remember when you first told me that pam had a uh masters in theater and stuff and it immediately clicked with me just like like her voice you know what i mean like the way she holds herself it's like uh like we were talking about with Louis, uh -huh. like Louis has that voice that like yes. is commanding. It's like I, I sense the same thing from her. Like yes, she, it's a very like it's just it's hard to it's like unique in a right. way. You know, does that she's, make sense? She's she's 
five foot three, yeah. but she's six foot five. Yeah. You know what I mean? When yeah. she wants to be. I mean, she commands her space. Oh, yeah. There's a reason yeah. why you don't mess with her. I, I never knew that about your wife. I, I didn't know that she yeah. that was But if you met her, you would now. you would yeah. know what I'm talking about. It's something about... A commanding presence. Yeah, because I, like, I, I run into people, like, I talk to a lot of people, and like some of them, they just don't have that voice. Like yeah. that. It's not necessarily if it's commanding or not. Just like that that uniqueness that, you that takes you above everybody else when everybody stops talking and listens to that person. You know what I mean? It, oh, sure. And I think only a few people have that. Like, it's rare. Sure. Yeah. And in her case, I mean, some people are gifted and have it, but you still have to train it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you still have to train it. True. And uh, but uh, but I mean, like I say, she's she was she's a well-trained artist and uh, and worked real hard at it, you know, but we just didn't want to live in that. In no, that, I, 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 <laughs> you know, for, for, which I, is the beauty of the internet now, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it the beauty of the internet now? You don't have to live where you don't want to live and if you're good enough you can still create a audience you can yeah. still create a voice for yourself you can still create a livelihood for yourself right. and it's not easy it's not easy it's still one out of a million yeah. it really is a lot of people out there trying and there ain't a lot of them doing it haven't hit yet so oh god yeah i hear about these internet sensations all all the time well i've yet to book one yeah, because I can't real. fucking find one. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm to tell you the truth. Well, Dan, uh, Q, Michael Q, Mike Q, yeah, is the only fucking guy in. I can't. But, I keep looking for these internet sensations. But he's a, come out. He's a legit stand up though. Like some of these guys don't do stand up, but like they're getting booked in comedy clubs. But like, the point yeah. being is, point being is, I'll book. I'll book a. I'll, I'll book a fucking dumb fuck. You know, I will. I'd book a dunk. I booked you. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey you knew it was coming, Mike. Yeah, come on. You know it was, but you know, but the thing with this, I would book. I would book a piece of shit uh, on on a on a Monday night or a Saturday afternoon that could pack. Could right. Pack, if they really truly could pack this fucking room, I give them the door for whatever ticket money they could charge. I give them the fucking door. You know what I mean? Because I get the F and B off of it. And it's not gonna it's not gonna affect my reputation because the people coming in are their fans. Exactly. I'm not bringing in people. Off, nobody off the streets is coming to see this son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, it's only their fans. So even if they're just god awful, it doesn't matter. They're just being god awful for their fans. You yeah. know. And so you know, I mean, I was talking to Mark Ridley about that, who has the Comedy Castle up there in Detroit. You know, and he'd been around longer than I have. You know. Oh, motherfucker. You know, and uh, no. <laughs> and, uh, but I was asking really one time we're playing golf. I said, have you run into any? And he, he actually had found three or four. And, and they weren't comics at all. They, but they could put, and he just rented his room to them. I think he just charged them a certain amount of money just to rent the room. Yeah, I've seen the improvs do that. Yeah, just rent the room to them and let them have it. Right. But, you keep hearing about these internet sensations and I go, well, here, I've got a beautiful showroom and, it, and if you can put at least 150 people in here, I'll let you, I'll work a deal with you, you know, on an off night when I'm not doing it, it's just that it's just extra money for us. Yeah. And only Michael is the only one that contacted me and I blew him off for months, Yeah. you know, and then finally I, yeah. got called around and found that he was legit brought him in nice guy does a real solid show 
and we've had him here twice. Yeah, I and had I think the first time he brought in about 225 people. The next time he brought in about 180 people on an off night. Yeah, give him a fucking door. Awesome. I was there. I bring that guy in all day long. I wish I had. I wish I had 50 of those. I had to serve. <laughs> I had to serve the first show, and we were like, maybe 150 will show up. And so many more people showed up than we expected. It was almost expect. 250. Two, almost it, 250. Yeah. So we're just we're just watching people come in. Mm. And I remember I looked at uh, Bronwyn, the, the booker here, and Marcel, the floor manager, and they're both looking at each other laughing like m- like maniacs. And then I walk up to my mom, what's going on? They're like, we don't know. Like, <laughs> they're not stopping. Like, they were like, they were like just keep yeah. running drinks. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. I, I can't remember. I had which, 55 people in my section that time. I can't remember which improv it was, but the same thing where it was some YouTube sensation and they booked. The, I mean, the whole place yeah. was packed. And I'm yeah. like, I never heard of this guy. Yeah. Well, look and, at look, look at somebody like Andrew Schultz, though. I, I don't know if he's on your radar at all, but he's Andrew, a guy. I, that I've heard of Andrew. He's Schultz. a legitimate stand-up no. and also an internet sensation. Like yes. he's killing the game in comedy, but he's also killing the internet. Like, huh. and he's like a guy that would just sell out every show here I'll with his with, with his fans. But yeah. he is a comic though. First, he's a, he's he, a he, bona fide yes. comic. Yes. But once again, when you when you're booking a celebrity that's bringing their fan base like you're not padding the room you're not yes. you're not doing anything it's only their fans that are coming in i don't have to think they're good at all yeah exactly i don't have to, it doesn't matter what i think yeah you know it's the fact that they have a following that enjoys what they do and i've got a showroom ta-da you know what i mean i mean but i'm just telling you you know, you hear that there's more of that out there than I run across. Yeah. You know, personally. That's true. And and I think we're all. I, I don't. I think all four of us, in some way, shape, or form, are trying to do that. We're putting yeah. shit out yep. there constantly. But Something. you we know, just did that last Saturday, we ain't caught fire. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> my Trump dog hasn't hit yet. <laughs> I liked it though, Mike. I, Everyone loves it. It I, is. It's funny as fuck. I've had so, I had a guy from Cal, but they but it doesn't get. I know algorithmed out, yeah. and they said we haven't seen it. I sent it to some people. They go, "This dog is funny." I go, "I know." Yeah, it's hard to figure out how to get it. I know. Yeah, hard boost. I need someone that we, knows uh, how to do that. We but just, you know it. it, it it, when I say, it, hold that thought. Yeah. But the thing is, I hear that all the time. I need somebody that knows how to do that, that knows how to create a following, that knows how Nobody to does. make we, something go viral. No one knows how to do it. Nobody does. If anyone had that formula, they would be. The richest you would person. know that person. They'd be selling. They'd be you Charlie. would know that person. They'd be on Forbes magazine. Nobody knows. There's something. It's like we always talked about. It's lightning in a bottle. We used right. to have. Well, at one point, we had a. Uh, a comedy club owners, a southeastern comedy club owners uh, group that were all independent owners. And what we realized is we were all talking on the phone anyway a lot. So we decided let's go to Atlanta, you know, one, once every three or four months. Get the five families together. That's right. And we would sit and <laughs> we would just it. talk and da 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 and go and and we would we would talk about we would talk about F and B probably three quarters of the time and entertainment about one quarter of the time because we do the acts that were out there and this that, and the other but one of the things we all talked about as club owners that had been doing had been had seen a lot of everything for decades is that we go isn't it weird 
we can all sit here and name off 10 comedians, all of us, that should be stars, that should be yes. celebrities, yeah. that are fucking awesome, and they don't catch fire. Yeah. And there's so, we all talk, uh, uh, I, I think it was Bruce Ayers maybe in Birmingham that first said, he said the likability factor. But one of us talked about the likability factor. There is some thing, there is something you cannot teach that is a charm yep. that the audience doesn't just like you, even to the point of giving you standing ovations, but they actually fall in love with you. They, they actually yeah. want you to be a part of their life. Yeah. And that's, you can't teach it. I remember Kenny Rogers, I seen him one time on Carson, and I got to open for him a couple of times. He was a sweetheart of a guy. And, hey, Bert. Um, <laughs> drink, everybody drink. There you go. <laughs> uh, but he talked about that too. He said, he goes, he was on Carson one time, and he said, you know, I have tried to take several people and make them stars that I know, I can tell you right now, are more talented than I am in every way, shape, and form. None of them have clicked. Yeah. Not a, using my fan base, using everything I have, I can't make someone a star. It's just something that you either it's yeah. it's that is that is a magic kind of thing. It the, really the is it factor. They, it they it is. It and you're right. Nobody knows how to do it really. And like you, you got to be great. Number one is no flukes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to be great, and you got to work really hard. I, I mean, I think that's true. I you know, I don't standard, think there's. Yeah. I don't think there's. I won't say there's no flukes. Mike's probably thinking of four flukes right now. But there's a few flukes. I, I, I do think the, <laughs> Are we going to name fluky names? No, we, no we're not. No. I, I think the harder, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I think that's yeah. the best way. Uh, correct. That, that's, correct. That's been a, But, yes, there well, are some they people say, where you're like. Isn't luck like – what's the saying about luck? Like it's, uh, it's like 90% of like – where you are or something like that or how much well timing's you. always a time place Every, moment timing as a, that was the old steve martin uh thing that the bus to the bus to fame uh, uh uh stops at everybody's bus stop yeah 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 but are are you ready to get yeah. on yeah, at yeah. the time it happens to stop at your bus stop? you know who said that actually was a uh, preacher preacher lawson last time you played here I think he was closing his show, and he goes, "Les always told me that the the bus, the the the, the fame bus stops at everybody's house." That was that's that same quote. It's yeah. the Steve Martin quote, you yeah. know, that because the preacher was a middle act with us, you yeah. know, and it's always it's always so exciting to see someone like Daryl Hammond, like Preacher, yeah, that you've watched Jim Brewer, that you've watched from open mic, you know, you've watched yeah. them come in him from grow. the very beginning. And hit, yeah, you know, and now, you go, it's just it's just so cool. How proud how proud are you that when you see a guy start off at your club at an open mic and then watch him go? Well, the I rank? don't. I, it, it's not just being proud of me. I mean, I know I'm just one of the venues. I mean, you know, I'm not it. You no, know, no, I mean, but, but I mean <laughs> from you personally, like when you see a guy who start out. Oh, it's 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 it's. Uh, it, you know what? It, it, I won't say it's the word proud. It's really. Um, I would say it's more I'm grateful for the fact that I was placed in a position where I could 
be influential. The, yeah, where where I well I could I could put people in that situation. Right. I right. could put people in a situation. What we do, what we're proud of, is that when you come here, you're treated as a professional artist. You're not treated like a piece of shit. And 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 rise above it. You know, there's some places where you're treated like a piece of shit. Yes. And hey, you figure out a way to rise above it. Here, you're treated like a professional artist at every level. I, first time open micer, Mike knows when you know too. When you come in here and you do open mic night, you you are you walk on that <clears throat> stage as a respected performer. Yes. You're not you're not put in a situation where you're compromised. Where you're, where where we allowed the crowd to fuck with you or anything, you're allowed to do your thing, and so I'm proud of that. That Pam and I have created that place, like so many comedy clubs have in this country, that that are the really good ones with the really with the owners that care. Yes, and uh, and that's a wonderful thing. And then when you see someone that takes that opportunity to the all the way. That's really ex- it's just exciting it to watch to it happen because it doesn't happen that often. And once again, you see so many acts that you go could, you know, are gr- wonderful. You know, I mean, I can sit here and nail, name and Mike Rivera is one of them. Mike Rivera, Dale Jones, yeah. John DeCrosta. Oh, uh, I mean, I can sit here and name name off a ton of comics that you know are. Just come in here and blow this room up, you know. But just you know, the star thing never happened. Yeah. Let know? me tell you a story. <laughs> I gotta pee. Tell the story I while I'm peeing. Uh, if you watch uh, Patton Oswalt, he just had his special out. Yeah. Yeah. But did you see what he did for uh, the guy Bob Rubin? No. When I was out in San Francisco, Bob Rubin, Google him, uh, was you know there's like one of the top comics out there. Very. Irrelevant, you know, very, you know, different stream of conscious, <clears throat> almost like alt comedy before it was alt comedy. Right, right. And what, which Patton Oswalt really defined and, sh- you know, and made it more uh, commercially successful. Sure, yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And, uh, but Rube was always just, man, what is he talking about? Yeah, yeah. And so at the end of Patton Oswalt's special, after the credits, he, he comes out and he has the crowd behind and goes, listen, I got one of my friends. I've known for 30-something years, 30 years. His name is Bob Rubin. He has a special coming up, which Patton helped produce. Yeah. And here's a guy that's been waiting for his big, big break. Guess who did it for him? Patton Oswalt. And he said, I want you to watch it. In the first five minutes, you're going to be hooked. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. How many times have you seen that on Netflix? Never. Uh, Never. 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 Amazing. I've seen people bring stuff on, but he says, hey, after me, I want you to stay on. Give this guy five minutes. He has his hour, hour coming that's up. That's really cool. And he did that for Bob Rubin. Amazing. Um, that's awesome. Amazing. So watch. But what impressed me was him actually saying, he could have just said, hey, follow me. But no, he actually, he's talking to the camera. There's, there's a, you know, a couple of thousand people behind him going, I want you to stay and watch this guy. Give him five minutes. You're going to be hooked. Yeah, and Bob was out there in the '80s, and he got his he got his Netflix. Who is who is Bob that? Rubin? Oh from, yeah, from Patton Oswalt. But what? That's the thing which I watched. You know, Patton Oswalt just just really being incredibly generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to say this guy. And there's a bunch of comics that I know that should have been. He's an awesome dude, anyway. Yeah. So there you go. Well, you know, and watch and, that though. And I oh, think I, I think that and and you know 
that's incredible when that happens. And, and I think that goes back to what the Kenny Rogers story is that you go, I think that a lot of artists, when they make it, are excited about pulling other artists up. You yeah, know yes. what I mean? They're excited about yes. doing it. But it, but, but you can't, you, you can't just, I mean, just by putting them in the situation doesn't mean that it's going to. Then it's going to click. You can't you know, hold Sometimes hand. it does and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know how it is in other uh, fields of performing arts, but I, I've definitely noticed within the stand-up comedy field, there's this, and it's it, it almost seems like, it, man, everybody has it to where it's that paid-forward mentality where, you know, I know when I first started, you had guys like Mike even still to this day. I mean, guys who are headliners or above you, but they're still coaching you. They're still bringing you up. And then yeah. it's something that because now you, you listen. Yeah. <laughs> but then I, you get in my position where it's like, okay, then you start seeing guys coming up through the open mics and all that. And in essence, like you're doing it the same thing that you guys would do for me naturally. And I pay feel, it back, pay it back. Pay I back. feel like that is, in stand up comedy, that happens more all the time than anything else. JB Ball told me that. He goes, you got to pay it back. He's like, if you don't, you're going to regret it like big time. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, I mean, as long as you're a people person, I mean, you know, yeah. and. You know, uh, 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 being a – and we, you say stand-up comedy. Being a performance artist, I mean, at anything you can think of, whether it's, whether it's music or acting or dance or stand-up comedy or a fucking mime. I mean, <laughs> really. I, I was in a mime troupe for two years that was that – was, that was, we were fucking – we were pretty good. We were cutting edge. We, we weren't no white-faced – Fucking Marcel Marceau mine. <laughs> we were we were cutting fucking edge. But the thing about it is, and and I. But the thing I say is, we, you know, that was one of the hardest things I ever did. Is like being in a dance troupe. It was physically very demanding. demanding. Yeah. And you know, all performance artists, I, I think, uh, uh, as far as to pay it forward or whatever, I think we just there's so few of us that do it. And there's so few of us that do it well, you know, especially it get to any level of professional where you're making any part of your income. I mean, where you're talking about, I mean, if you make a quarter of your fucking income off of performance arts, pretty fucking good. You know, yeah. you make all, I mean, we talk about that as comedians standing back there. You know, when you, the guys that we just talked about, that all those, all those men and women that, never made it big but have been doing it for 20 years 30 years and they're awesome yep. and they're just awesome and we're all grateful for the fact that that we got the we figured it out and got the opportunity to spend our life doing some form of performance art in a way that we didn't have to really do another job you know you could make your living doing that I mean you're in the upper you got to be in the upper one percent yeah. You know, when you get there, you know, it's just it's just hard to 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 get there. Let me let me digress for you, Les. Go um, digress. When um, for us growing up, when, talk about when it was competitive and I got to see it with comics that were like, you know, I might have been a freshman. They were the seniors going to college. Right. Our big thing, if you remember, was the HBO Young Comedian special. Yes. There was no Netflix. No. But if you got that show. Everyone in the industry is going to watch that's you. That's right. And that was cutthroat. Yes. I, I, I've heard lots of stories about yes. you would do anything, and people did. 
Oh yeah, it was just get, like anything else. Because there was what ten. There eight. What was that? Was now that was HBO before Showtime? Yep. HBO was first, and then Showtime was next. They were, and because before that, of course, obviously, as most people know, it was Carson. Yep. And it was Carson, and it was Carson. It was fucking Carson. Now, of course, there was Tonight Show before that, you know. But once comedy clubs, where you really actually had comedy clubs all over the country, it was the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and then eventually it became yeah, HBO and Showtime, and that and Comedy Central wasn't even on the no. fucking you know. But to get on that. The HBO, those 10. Yeah, man. See, I remember that from the kid. HBO yeah. was the thing. Oh, absolutely. Like, you wanted to get on HBO. Absolutely, you know. And that was the thing. I mean, you had to you had to go to L.A. Yeah, Pretty much. Pretty much, right? And that, that was the thing with That San was the exodus of New York. That's when people yeah. were moving, leaving New York and, and to go to L.A. And what's amazing about the, the, quote, the San Francisco scene uh-huh. uh, was if you're a San Francisco comic, you didn't go to L.A. Big mistake. <laughs> same, same with Boston and New York, which has always been the weirdest thing to me. San Francisco and L.A., as you say that, and I go, here's Boston and New York, what, a three-hour fucking train ride, yeah. and, they, and they don't go back and forth, you know? Especially I Paul. think they, still to this day, they do it more than they used now, to. Yeah. But, boy. San Francisco comics was like, no, they're going to come to us. Big mistake. <laughs> well, that's really. And, yes. that's, and that's why a guy like Ruben, all these other guys, uh, Will Durst, Larry Bubbles Brown, you know, we're mainstays in San Francisco, but, you know, we're, we're going to make it here because, you know, Robin's from here and they're right. going to find us. Right. No, they don't. No. No. You got you to go to L.A. No, there, absolutely. There's a, there's a, I mean, that's corporate headquarters, you know. San Francisco is not corporate no. headquarters. Boston is not Manhattan, you know, and that's that. Did you guys see you know. the documentary on the Boston comedy scene? I didn't. I, uh, I just watched it uh, a couple weeks ago. When this uh, where was it? Where did you get it? On uh, Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Oh, it was. It was Smith great. Really? I never knew that. Well, what's Boston, it called? I I I gotta have to look it up. Okay, okay. okay. I'd love but it. I know it talks about you know. Um, who was the guy? Stephen Wright was the yeah. first guy to go to the Tonight Show and kind of set the stage for everybody. But I didn't realize that Boston had such a like thumping oh, yeah. scene back then. Well, you know Emerson University there. Dennis Leary, when Dennis Leary was at Emerson, along with, oh shit, who else? There were there were several uh, comics. Not Dennis was the biggest star, you know. Yeah. But they started the, the Emerson's one of the few universities in the United States that has a stand-up comedy curriculum as part of their theater department, wow. Wow. and he and his group were the group that started that just to, they were actors, you know, they were in the acting program, but they started it as an offshoot thing. And, and then it kind of built uh, after that. And uh, of course, why do you not have stand-up comedy curriculum in universities? I'll tell you why, because I've researched it and I've tried. Teachers, do you have to have stand-up comedy professors. And that means your professor has to have been a stand-up comedian. And he can't just have been a stand-up comedian. He has to have been a touring headliner, kick-ass stand-up comedian for you to really have a person in that position that should be in that position. And stand-up comics that are headliners don't want to go and get a doctorate fucking degree 
in theater so that they could teach stand-up comedy at a motherfucking university. And that's really, you don't professor. have that. It's a loophole. <laughs> it is a loophole. I mean, we talked about that here. I wanted to, the Oslo, uh, the conservatory of the Oslo is the master's degree program for Florida State University's theater. And so Pam graduated from that. So we knew the director over there when we first came into town and we talked to him early on. And, and, and then even 10, 12 years after that, we had a running dialogue with them about me coming over and working with their students. And the problem was two. One, one problem was simply time, the time that they would have for that. And, and the second thing was, Les, all you have is a BFA degree. You need, I wow. mean, you need at least a master's yep. degree. He goes, now Pam has an MFA. She has a master, uh, an MFA. So it's like, you know what we could do is we could hire Pam as an adjunct Jumped. professor and you come in as her. Or guest lecturer. Yeah, guest That's lecturer. So you're actually teaching the class, but she has the credentials. Another loophole. You gotta have the paper. <laughs> Here's one for you. Gotta have fucking paper. I, I remember telling you this. So okay. when I went to San Jose State, it was like 18 or 19 years old. Right. And the I always loved TV because I always wanted to be a writer or stuff. Because you know me, I'm always shy, whatever. Right. And so our TV production guy was like, you know, his name was Mel Swope, and he's like, yeah, well. And after a while, the first year, he's like, hey guys, I got this opportunity to do this show. Let me tell you about it. And I'm like, oh, Mel, that's, and it was, we'll, we'll see you back in six months. And uh, he's like, well, it's about a cop show, you know, it's going to be cars and, and whatever, and these two cops. And oh, I've seen it a billion times. And, you know, it's going to be in Miami, you know. It was Miami Vice. And we're Damn. like going, oh, we're like going. Now, oh. what, would, what did he do in the show? He was, he was the director, the first director. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, wow. Then Michael Mann took it, though. He was the nice. first. Right, but right, then Michael Mann got all the colors and pastels. But the first year, look for the name Mel Swope. Nice. And we're nice. like, but we're like, oh, that's that sucks, man. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> you'll, be back, you'll be back in five <laughs> months. He's gonna. Hey, he goes, I gotta go. I gotta go. This is a great opportunity. And we're like, nice. go, but we'll see you back in six months. Mel Swope. You probably then, had the idea for like mobile phones too. Yeah. And, shit. And, and by the way, I'm sure you can't mention that, but you know, some people have gotten their TV shows. And they're, they're going, yeah, I got this show. I was like, this is going to last one. Oh, right. It's going to last two right. weeks. And then, you know, eight years later, I'm like going, oh, I was yeah. wrong on that one. Right. Like that Frasier show, right? Yeah. Well, that's right. like, uh, what, what was it? Uh, uh, Billy Crystal passed on, uh, on Toy Story. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of those like, He was like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot there's of a money. Bunch of, there's a bunch of those. And who knows? Could Billy of Crystal have made <laughs> that? Serious. You know. Finally, I can't talk about that. Yeah. yeah anyway. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, opportunities passed as yeah. far as that goes. And you never know. Going to talk about something because we, uh, what did you, you were bringing up something before? Oh, so I, I very rarely do I, I watch stand up as like an entertainment thing. I, like, I'd rather, I, I'll watch Mike or I'll, well, both Mike's actually. I haven't watched your guys' stand ups, but I just saw the new Seinfeld. Love Seinfeld. Uh, that's one of the comedy guys that I admire. I like, I love how he writes. And the new Seinfeld special on Netflix? The new Seinfeld special. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike, you were saying you noticed something about that. Yeah, because I really, you know, uh, I, I noticed when I saw it, I had a reaction that was, you know, so-so, not really impressed. Right. A lot and, of people did, I think. But yeah. then there was a reason why. Four months before Jerry Seinfeld got to, to be the Seinfeld show, he uh, last Unlimited, he was, like, well-known, and you always heard, there's this guy Seinfeld coming up. So it's like right. I was playing one of their clubs. 
let's go see him, you know? And so in his prime, I see Jerry Seinfeld. Right. And with my attitude was, you better fucking make me laugh. Right. I want to see the, you know, the king. Sure. I did the same thing with Leno. I got to see him in a club, and they said, oh, he's great. He's got to go. No, he's not. I get him there. Oh, yeah. This is when Leno bef- was just starting to go on Letterman. So he was on the road. Yeah. And they, they always said Leno was the guy yeah. back then. Like but top, I got to top see five. I got to see Seinfeld. And he wasn't doing his voice up. He, uh, w- he wasn't doing that. He was doing stand-up. Real club stand-up. What year Very was smooth. that? God, it was it had right before the four months before the show. And it was actually, they said, remember, there was a show called The Martin Chronicles. Originally, it was going to be called The Seinfeld Chronicles. Right. And then they had well, to change it. We um, had Jerry in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Comedy Catch in 1986. And at that point in time... He was well known enough from tonight shows that he had done because he didn't have a lot of other comedy then. And so he had a following. Even in a town like Chattanooga, uh, he, he sold, I mean, you know, we had a 180 seat room. I think he did a five show weekend. And I think he sold everything out. And I don't remember that big, <laughs> you know, you know you need to do it. so much. Yeah. Uh, but he was very, but but he wasn't he wasn't showy. That was no. he wasn't a he wasn't a big entertainer. You know what I mean? It, it was the words, you know. But he but he had he had really good shows. I mean, solid shows. And I remember him telling me back then we were just sitting around. To, he was his agent told us he goes uh, now look Jerry. Just so you know, Jerry's the kind of guy that after the show. He likes to get there maybe 30 minutes before the show. He goes on after the show. He'll hang out as long as people want to talk to him in in the audience. He'll hang out in the back and sign autographs and fart around, talk to people. Then he'll want to go right back to his hotel room. He like he likes to he records all of his shows back then, and he would go home. and His his rule was is that he would Paula Poundstone used to do this too. She would listen if he did two shows that night. He would listen to the shows make notes before he went to bed and then get up the next day and then maybe tinker with it you know and he goes that's just his discipline and he couldn't have been more he couldn't be more opposite from that he went out with my waitresses he had fun he went horseback riding he'd never ridden a fucking horse that's hilarious he went horseback riding with my waitresses he wrote a bit about it that i saw on the tonight show later on but that he did like saturday night sunday Sunday, we just had one show, and the uh, Okoy River is a whitewater rafting. You can only raft it or kayak it. It's too rough for canoes. They did the, uh, the Olympic whitewater when it was in Atlanta was on the Okoy River. So a lot of my uh, servers in the wintertime, several of them were raft guides in the summer. So it was the first day of season that Sunday, and we're like, Jerry, you want to go up and raft the river? He goes, hell yeah, I'll go, you know? So we took him up there oh. rafting the fucking river. We had the greatest time with him. I've never talked to him since. And uh, <laughs> never. He must have hated me. But, uh, <laughs> so, um, but he told me two things. One, we got talking about the fact that, you know, you know, he was already kind of a mid-level celebrity in this 1986, but never – know had a sitcom or anything like that and he was like no he goes i'm very i won't do it 
I've, I've just decided I'm not going to do it until I've got enough control that I can do it, that I can call the shots, you know, that, that somebody's not telling me what I have to do, which is exactly what he did. He waited wow. until that was what he did. He t- and he told me that in 1986 wow. that he was doing that. And the other thing he told me that at the, the, as he was walking out the club, the last time I saw him, Went out, shook his hand, you know, like, thanks for coming out. And he goes, one piece of advice for you, Les, in this business. Start at the top and work your way down. Start at the top and work your way down. Never start at the bottom and work your way up. He said, so here's what I mean by that. If you were, like, say, going to pitch a sitcom idea, he goes, and you went to a studio, don't go to the fucking low-level pitch guy that they got there. Don't even think about that. You want to try to get to the head of the fucking, you know, Network. studio. Yeah. Now, you won't. You won't get to the head of the studio. But if you shoot for the head of the studio, they'll kick you down about five levels. You'll still be seven levels above the fucking guy that they, you would have been with. That they throw all the shit to, you know, right? Start at the top and work your way down. That's You'll genius. be further up the ladder every single time when you do that. And I've told that piece of advice. And that was just, and that that was just a I, that must have been something that Jerry just probably was a something somebody told him. Yeah, obviously, I guarantee it's something somebody some wisdom that was told to him that was really you know, that he felt was a big part of yeah. how to live your life, you know. I'll tell you one more Jerry Seinfeld story. It's fun. It's great. Well, it's he fun. was uh, – so we go to check in to the uh, hotel he's staying in, and the hotel is still there. It's uh, – I think it's – I forget. It's taken over by a chain, but it's called the Reed House. It's called the Reed House. And the building is over 150 years old. It's one of those buildings. It was there during the Civil War. And during the Civil War, it was used as a hospital. Right. Okay. So, so a lot of people died in that building. A lot. So it is well known to be haunted. Right. And especially the third floor. Okay. And uh, and we used to keep comics there. We cut a deal with them for a while. And because it was one of the nicer hotels in town. It was real it's a it's a really beautiful it's a beautiful hotel. <laughs> And, you know, like one of those old, you know, yeah. antique spooky you know, as hell. And, and every, every room has antiques. It's that kind of thing, right? And, uh, and, I've, and I've heard comics tell some stories where they felt like there was some weird shit happened. But So anyway, so we get there. It's the middle of the afternoon. We check in. There's no fucking body there. We go up to the, the uh, elevator. And at that point, I went, oh, Jerry. I said, uh this hotel's haunted i said uh, uh, there's a story behind it, especially the third floor then that he goes he goes shit i'm on the sixth floor i want to be on the third floor i said well you want to change it now you know he goes nah maybe i'll deal with it later so swear to god we get on the elevator just the two of us hit six third floor stops <laughs> doors open up nobody there doors close and we head on up as soon as we started head up i went boys just wanted to meet you 
<laughs> we just started laughing. He goes, that's crazy, man. But uh, he's like, I'll stay on the sixth floor. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah. sixth is good for me. Yeah. Sixth floor is good. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's hilarious. But uh, yeah, man. But but I, I t- but just what little, little I was around him at that point in time. But you get around with somebody like that that's moving along, you know, and they've been on The Tonight Show a bunch of times. And you know how it is as a comic, you just want to pick their brain. You just want to sit and go, how the fuck are you doing this, you know? And, of course, part of it for him was he grew up in New York. I mean, it helps when you grew up in New York or L.A. because you've been there. You know your way around, you know. But he grew up in New York. He's been focused on doing this for a long time. But there was a guy that was very structured, very structured, very strategic. You know, he knew what he wanted he to does do. His homework. Yeah, he knew his. He knew he he studied it. He knew the the and and I mean, he worked and he worked his ass off. Yeah. You know, he is a student of comedy. Yes, he is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, this was a pleasure. Before we before we sign off, because it is just us bullshitting around. Is there anything either of you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk Especially, you, I, don't, I never want to leave going, fuck, I wanted to talk about this, so we didn't talk about that, you know? But I brought up the Seinfeld thing because I got to, you know, because people, because I didn't get, I forgot that I had seen him when he, and, I, and it, it, to me it was like night and day. Because when I saw him on the special, it's like going, uh, he's doing the character, the, the Jerry Seinfeld they know. Right. And the one I saw was in a club like this, and he was goofing with the owner, who everyone didn't really like. And the owner was, like, trying to heckle him. He's like, what are you doing? And, and, <laughs> and there was a banter there. Uh-huh. And here, here's the story that uh, – that, because so we're watching him like a hawk. When comics are watching, you know, back then it's like, show me. And he yeah, did. Yeah, right. And uh, – but it was interesting because, you know, he was always trying new material. By the way, I loved his – the comedian especially did with Orny. Uh, yes. Every comic should watch that yeah. and take the comedian, notes. right? It's yeah. called comedian. The comedian. Because boy, and by the way, I love Orny. Oh yeah, I love and, Orny. And Orny t- talked a lot. Yeah. Boy, has he grown about oh, about the, about the Boston scene. He can give you. He studies and stuff oh, like yeah. that. No, he's been one of my. I just got to know him since he's played the club in the last few years, and he's one of my favorite guys. He's, he's he studies. And, yes. and Orny, we had Absolutely. a really good conversation. He knows a lot about comedy. Mm-hmm. And to see that now and to talk to because you know what Orny wanted back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just to see Jerry just laughing at him. He wanted to him. sleep with Jerry, by the way. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. No, I'm teasing. No, but, but just. <laughs> it seemed like it in a couple of those scenes. <laughs> but, but, I'm not going to lie. But the was thing he was, offering dates? Like, you know. so, so I'm watching. So we're watching that, watching his act. And then, and it was almost amazing. He'd, he'd play to the left. He'd play to the center. He'd play to the right. And after a while, you're going, oh, this, he is, he practices his game. You know, it's yeah. almost like a martial art with him. Yeah. Right. But the audience doesn't know that. Right. And you know, that's the, you know, the, right. it's like pseudo improv. It's, it's structure without being obvious. So then he right. does this bit about, you know, dating. And he talks about, and the fact that I remember this, he talked me, left me with the impression because only comics would have gotten this, you know. Uh, so, and, he, and he talks about how you're, and he does the shopping cart thing, right? Right. And he said, it's almost like you grab one, you know, and you take it. And then, then he said, and then you put it back. The audience then went, which hadn't happened all night because it's like 30 minutes into a second, go, oh, for a millisecond. And you know what I'm talking about. You look at his eyes. Sure. And he just 
slowly got out of the bit and went to another one. Sure. Because he offended. It, and sure. he never offends anyone. Because sure. he has much, much edges of basketball. Yeah. But to see, but that was, I loved it. Oh, did you see that? And when it happened, it just... Yeah. A millisecond, you would catch him where he did have that. We've all had that moment, right? Oh, on stage, oh, oh yeah. Where oh, it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, to see Seinfeld. <laughs> when do you like not that? have that moment, Mike? Oh. Every, every time. But that, <laughs> every time. But, but the fact that, that that's the material that stood out to me less. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, I want to see, how did he handle it? He went, he's human. Yeah. yeah. And that's, well, isn't that the thing with but, all performance artists is that when we're watching somebody that we really – want to watch to learn from you know whatever it is is that when they do something wrong when they do something that doesn't work that is the most interesting thing because it's like you don't expect it yeah they're so slick yeah you don't expect it and then it's like how do they handle exactly that? That's you know how do they handle that yeah. type of thing you know and of course he just moved to the next fucking <laughs> I'm yeah, really going to go but, back and watch that. But, but it though, caught him, right. But you know that, that millisecond seems like an hour on stage. You know that. Yes, yes, but, yes. Uh, but, but do you, do, you know, it's always a decision, isn't it, Mike? Do I address it or do I just go or do I just roll on? Because you always have that moment of – because I've, I've, taught, I've taught with comics. I go, you can turn a groan into a laugh. And, and, yeah. and, and yes. sometimes we see comics that will do that. They will do something that – they know is going to get it. Yeah, they plan for you, you it. You know it. You know it's going to. But you know once they're audibly doing the sounds coming out of their mouth, you can turn it. You can turn that groan into a laugh. But when it happens unexpectedly, you know you're you especially when you're trying something that you think is going to be funny. And, and it, it goes totally, not only do they not not laugh, they go, well, you pit, you've, you've actually angered us you, a little when, bit. When they do you, this, when You've like, disgusted us, you, you know? <laughs> and, and, but do you decide to improvise? You feel betrayed and, in those moments. Well, that's it. But the, the thing is, do you to go, okay, I'm not, by, it's almost, here's, a, is, I, I could, like this. You're, 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 you're in a fight with somebody. You know, and you're kind of equal, but they get you. They get you when you least expect it, yeah. you know, and they really fucking get you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not down and out, but you went, fuck. fuck. You know what I mean? At that point, do you go, done, done. You're, bad. you're the better man in whatever way that is. Or do you go? No, man. I'm. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna double I down. Think. I, 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 from I a do. comedian standpoint, do? we all double down. We all like. Nah, you didn't like that. Hold on. Let me try this. There's a there's a podcast that we recorded where you can audibly hear me get booed from from backstage. Uh, <laughs> We're yeah. like, oh, that's real bad. Yeah, that happened yeah, to me in Port had, Charlotte. Yeah. No, go ahead. Did you have one more thing, Mike? Oh no, it's just and it, it's through the. You know what have you learned about during the crisis? Yeah. About and that and you were talking about. So I'm sitting out. You know, Cindy and I. We got the house. It's going to be right. a year. Right. Uh, we got it all fixed up. We have a dock less. I'm looking over. I got the animals there. I'm in the chair. Going, is this? And I go, it means nothing. And this <laughs> right, if I don't go on stage. Right. Yeah. It's part of my blood. And that here's the thing which I noticed, so I, I never used to watch comedy. 
because you don't want to get influenced, but over, I watch Netflix to see what can I get from them now. Right. And you see it a, a, a different perspective. And again, you try to t help the youth of, you know, pay right, it forward. Right, right, right. But what I've noticed is I've written more since, you know, I have my teacher 45 minutes, this, and then I saw one of my sets from three years ago. And yeah, we always keep the same certain bits, you know, right, my grandpa, sure. this, that. Oh, but I, when I said where, and everything that I've written now, it's been more of a motivation. And working, and there's more to comedy than just the writing. It's it's then the performance. It's again, I've grabbed the mic after 20 years. I never grabbed the mic last. You know, I never looked at an audience. We talked about that with sure. the other podcast. Absolutely, you can always grow. Yes. yes. Oh, absolutely. And oh, these are and and that, that is a, open. that is a positive that's going to come out of this. We've I think all of us that have been doing it for a long time, and and when you've been doing it for a long time, you have a wealth of material. You've got plenty to fall back on. You know, you know how to walk out there and get the crowd, da da da. And it's easy to fall on your laurels, you know, and just go, "Hey, man, I, you know, da da da." But right now, right now, I mean, I tell you what, everybody I see—I don't know about you—everybody I see in town goes, "Can't wait to come to the club yeah. to hear what your material is going to be on this." Yeah. I have nothing yet. Yeah. But I just started putting some things together because I've been dealing with a lot of other shit with yeah. business. But it, it, it is. It's, been, it's fun. It's fun. And, and that's what keeps us fresh that's and right. young. And, that's right. You know, and that's one thing I've got. I've my, my, I'll leave you with this. My, my, my professor, Dr. Keith Kennedy, in, at the University of Memphis, head of the department there, theater, he was my mentor. He's the reason I'm here right now. And he said... When you're not scared, you're not learning anymore. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're comfortable, you've laid in your coffin <coughs> and you're waiting to pull the lid shut. When, you're, when you've just decided this is it, totally comfortable, I'm gonna stay in my comfort zone. I had, I had the opportunity to have lunch with him after I'd already become successful. And you had that opportunity with that teacher to tell him how much he meant to me and how, how I was where I was because of him. And I told him, I said, you said two things in this one class that just so impacted me. One was gravity's killing you every day. You got to get up and dance on gravity. Two was just what I said. You know, whenever you're not scared, you're not learning anymore. You're pulling the coffin door shut. And he looked at me and went, I said that? <laughs> He goes, that was pretty good. He goes, he goes, I must have been stoned as fuck that night. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks a lot for listening to the conversation. Thanks, you guys, for coming in, Luke and Mike. And Mike always, man. And I can't wait till we get everything going back again and start making yep. people laugh their ass off live and in person Hell at yeah. McCurdy's and all over the country. Thanks. See ya.